are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine, a Tennis Bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter and Instagram. And we're picking up followers on Instagram, even though I haven't really posted. I got to figure out how to use that yet. But if this is your first time listening, chances are it's how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. With me as always, uh, once again, it's my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Yeah, what's up, everyone? I'm back. Um, if you missed me last week, I was at a what Dave called a niche sport, which is known as ice hockey around here in the Southern California region. But now I'm back here talking about this other niche sport called tennis. I said non-mainstream. <laughs> I, I walked you used back. the word niche. <laughs> the word niche was absolutely used. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I was actually looking for fringe. Uh, it didn't come to me, so I, I settled on, which is actually kind of worse. <laughs> uh, but you did the crypto double dip with the Kings and Clippers game. Nice job. With us once again is John Reed. He's our, our third host here. He does betting content for his own brand at Tidbits Tennis Action Network. Betting expert Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps. You can find him at JR Tweets Tennis on Twitter. John, welcome back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Ready to uh, talk about these late stage Miami uh, matches. Although there's some challenger stuff this week too, by the way, guys, that looks pretty juicy. So I'm just going to say if <laughs> if people are looking for, you know, a high volume of, of bets, uh, certainly dig into some challenger stuff because it's worthwhile in these second weeks of Masters and Slams. We are winding down with the amount of matches. I, I woke up. There was no 8 a.m. match. It was a, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. But you are right. The challenger scene is uh, is going on. And a lot of these guys uh, that have popped up over Indian Wells, Miami, have been challenger grinders that have worked their way up. So uh, definitely a place to do your due diligence. Uh, learn some of these guys on the challenger tour as they make their way up. Maybe get a nice cash here and there. Chris Eubanks, I believe he really utilized his late year run on the challenger tour i think he played in like three street finals against ben sheldon gotta think that that play has led to his success uh this week but we'll talk more about chris eubanks in a bit this is a tennis betting podcast so transparency is king we like to go over what what we talked about last time in a little segment we call what did we win what did we learn the wins guys tommy paul money line closed it out in two versus davidovich fokina in round three talk that one up in your honor, Derek, since you weren't here to be the uh, the Tommy Paul guy, we we played that role for you, and uh, Much he appreciated. he padded the bankroll for us. Uh, he did phrase the break point, serving it out. I mentioned uh, going to be a tough slog for either guy to to serve that out into, but uh, he came through, which was pretty pretty great. Uh, Derek, I'm going to pump you up here. Uh, you're going to come back to uh, some kudos. You talked up uh, the Karen Hachanov quarter price on our Miami open preview show here kk sits in the quarterfinals one win away from cashing on that quarter price as a minus 260 favorite dolo is a plus 210 or higher dog so you could definitely lock in some profit depending on how much you invested but great call mr derek yeah i expected hatching off to play like either i think tiafo or is it fey leaks right here and yeah now he's got just frankie sarundolo here um we'll get more into that match later but yeah if you guys made that bet and you can get an easy hedge or you can lock in some profits yes well done also we talked about center 11 to 1 to win this whole thing he's down to 5 to 1 so you're sitting pretty on that as well and his quarter price was plus 175 and at time of recording rusevori is plus 500 as a dog against center and center is a seven dollar favorite so 
interesting to look at this, I think, and, and talk about this for a second. So the, the plus 175 seemed short at the time for his quarter price, but now you're sitting here at the end with, with how things have played out. And it's it's almost a nine dollar swing on, on that price for the match just to to cash. Feels like uh there's a lesson to be learned here. Uh, when you're you're seeing those short, when you're looking at the quarter prices, the outright prices, you, you want those juicy long shots, right? But uh, I think there's some takeaway here that uh, you can find some value on those shorter shots in certain spots. John, what do you think? I think when it comes to Yannick, like if we're talking about Yannick Center, I think that he's definitely playing some of the best tennis. Even I've seen him play. We've seen him play some great tennis for a while, right? So, or in the, in the past, not for a while, but we've seen him play it a lot at a high level. I don't know if I've ever seen the ground strokes looking just this dominant. And it's not even one match where he red lines like Sonego did on serve against foe, right? That was almost a one-off. Great job. Incredible stuff. But we've seen, again, center play big from the baseline. I don't know if I've seen the forehand just this ridiculously strong. And over the course of multiple matches, I mean, Grigor Dimitrov was serving really well. But it felt like every time he missed a first serve, he knew he was losing the point. He was pressing um, they were both pushing each other's second serves, taking them early, pushing them with depth back. Uh, and you saw in the second set, they had what four or five breaks of serve because of it, because they knew the other guy's first serve and, and first forehand are just absolutely crushing. I'm not winning those points. I've got to attack the second serve. And th- that's kind of a byproduct of what Sinner can kind of do to you, right? Is is make you press, uh, especially on return. He can cover up the fact that he doesn't have the biggest serve with the fact that his first forehand just makes up for it, right? If he's if the first serve doesn't find him a an ace or an unreturned serve because it's not as fast and you can get your your racket to it, his first forehand is damn well going to finish the job, and it, it's just ridiculous what he's doing. I think there's a decent hedge spot uh, for Rusevori, but I don't think this is going to come out in time before that match um, goes off anyway. So I do think when you get to plus five ten with a guy that has Emil's talent and who is as hot and cold, if he's hot today. He can stick with center from the baseline, not match him or beat him, but he can stick with him, keep him within range. He's got a big first serve in his own right. So, and, and he's been playing really well at the net. And if he's smart enough to come to net here, knowing he's overpowered from the baseline, which he has done a couple times in the his last few matches, he might have a shot at the upset. And I think there's plenty of value there, as there is on, on Dolo to upset uh Hachanov if you have a Hachanov ticket even if you don't I think there's some value to bet so but we'll get into that one for sure uh yeah I gotta talk about that that net situation with uh, Rustavori here coming up but in general though I think you are a guy who is unafraid of a, a, a short outright though I mean you like the the Novak to win AO and I think uh, a lot of people shy away from that so I think just another um piece of evidence that sometimes there's some value on those shorter shots you know, considering where center sits right now and the draw. Yeah, I would just say, put it into percentages. Don't look at it like, oh, it's only plus 100. Does Novak Djokovic have less than a 50% chance to win the AO? That's what makes that a bad bet. If you think he doesn't win at 50% of the time, if you look at his past, he wins it well over 50% of the time he's there. Same as Rafa at the French. We, he, they used to spread, like have him minus 110 or even money. That is that is definitively value because remember, it's not just a regular tournament. You've got to beat him three sets in one match to knock him out which makes it that much tougher each individual match, which means even the rollovers become that much less valuable because his money line is going to be that much more juiced. And I think when you turn it into percentages and you tell people, okay, if you think Novak doesn't win this 50% of the time, that's fair. Now construct me a path where like get me every other player, their percentages and get it to 50, get it over 50% because I'll disagree with you. I'll say that Novak wins that he wins Wimbledon over 50% of the time. Um, You know, he's winning, just about any best of five tournament at the, or those two tournaments 
half the time at this point. Like it just is. Same thing with Sinner here in his quarter. I didn't. I thought there was a, probably a bit more value uh, on Zverev. That was clearly a piss poor take. But again, if you thought like, hey, this guy wins this forty percent of the time, like what are you doing not betting that outright? Love it. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into what do we learn here? The losses. Uh, I learned Ben Shelton has a three set problem. Pumped him as a minus 150 favorite, which is a price I, I still like against Manorino. I probably played again. He's a more talented player, but he did exactly what I feared in the first set, which was break himself. Some bad unforced errors on shots uh, that should have been winners. Doubled to get to break point or deuce. I, I think it was break point. Gets broke to drop the first set. Gets the second set. Did have the crowd. I think they definitely helped him out in the second set. Uh, but I, I want to say, though, that it was, even though he did have the crowd, the crowd was like his boys, <laughs> which it wasn't like a, a a bigger, like more general crowd cheering him on. And I wonder if that was almost like a detriment um, that it was just like his crew <laughs> from the University of Florida uh, is the only backers. Uh, and, and maybe he was hanging out with those guys a little bit too much ahead of this match. I think, uh, yeah. And then the third set, uh, he just ran out of gas. So I think for me, the, the talent is there with Shelton, but he's still making his way on tour. He needs to get that stamina up to close out these matches uh, where he's lost a three to Fritz, lost in three to Runa, lost in three here to Manorino. You know, he has the talent to win more. I just think he's got to get uh, just get a little more pro ready match in match out i was gonna say he's maybe like a dog or pass for me <laughs> at this point but i i think that we're gonna have some nice pit where he's a short favorite uh spots to, to to back him he's gonna be on the around on the clay tour he might be a fade on the clay scene because we don't really know what his clay resume is going to be like i also backed taro daniel plus three and money line at plus 160 versus Rusevori, really tough loss. It's a straight set loss and a four game spread in the end but if you look at the stats uh the match was decided by seven total points ouch ouch uh interesting note though that john already mentioned uh from the match rusevori talked in the post-match presser about prioritizing a fight at the net getting off the baseline because he knew he was in trouble there versus Terra, which was kind of my whole angle ends up 15 to 17 at the net kills kills my angle does the same thing against bodic in the next match wins 18 of 23 net points uh, there for his escape into the quarters Sucks to lose, uh, but nice to see Emil change things up, becoming sharper as a player. As a former tout turned fader, I might be reverting back to a tout. <laughs> I'm all over the place with this guy. I mean, the unforced errors are still there. Uh, he, it, this dude loves going long. I mean, he just can't get it in the court sometimes. But uh, certainly, I think a little more IQ playing out. I think the one thing that really annoyed me with the Bodic match was he he stopped coming to net. Like, he's down a set and break. He's getting killed from the baseline by a consistent player, which is what happened against Daniel when Daniel was kind of pushing him on serve and whatnot. And so he starts coming into net, and he's all of a sudden the comeback's on. He's finally found. It took him a while to even get a break point, I think, in that match against Bodic. And then all of a sudden he's found the break back, and then he gets broken again right away, I think, to love, too. Uh, at three all in the second set. And I'm like, okay, well, I had a Rusevori ticket. And I'm like, well, okay, the set and break comeback was on and now it's off again. And then boom, breaks back again and then takes the second and he gets out this lead in the third because he's coming to net. And it's like, he's, I think he's starting to realize I'm better at net. Like his hands are better than I think even he gives himself credit for maybe, but he's really, really, he he's strong there because a lot of the shots he generates from his opponents are easy right? It, it, these are not volleys down at his ankles. They're not getting buried in his feet. He's not having to half volley things off the ground because his ground game is so big. 
that's the whole point here is when you've got huge weapons from the baseline, that almost makes your job at net easier if you time your approach properly, which, by the way, is a big thing coming to net, right? It's it's how quickly you hit the ball and then start your move in. Because if you're slow, that's where you create openings for passing shots for your opponent. But as soon as he gets himself to net on time and he's in position because his ground stroke is so big and he's pulled his opponent into the the back corner of the court and it's just a super defensive desperation shot coming back at him it's an easy put away or it's just a slightly outstretched volley your racket face is sturdy and you drive through it right very simple stuff so he sets himself up for success with his ground strokes from the baseline for his net game and then he just abandons it when it was working against Bodick. And it was just really interesting because I think from a tactical point of view, he had really started to pick up on that. These consistent baseliners, I can't hit through them. If I if I can't hit through them, I'll stay at the baseline. If I can't hit through them, I know I'm the one more likely to commit an error because I'm going bigger. So let me come to net and finish the point there. I can create some really easy volleys with my big ground strokes. And then all of a sudden, he just abandons it. So the IQ is developing. I, I still think there's a long way to go for Emil, but uh, but it's good to see. It, 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 he's got a really fun game to watch. And you know what? He might have to do that against Sinner because as much as Sinner you know, moves like a giraffe out there between points, and I don't know who taught him to walk when he was a kid, but when he's on the court, somehow he runs down so many balls for being such an awkward mover. Uh, so he may need to come back to net to a, a lot against Yannick. I think that's going to be tough uh, because I feel like Sinner actually is really good at the net. <laughs> I think he moves up and down better than he moves side to side. Oh, uh, Ru- Ru- should get to net. I mean, no, I know. Oh, yeah, center. yeah. Well, I think if I think he might find that center is there waiting for him. <laughs> and, oh, that's true too. Yeah. And it won't go as smoothly as the last two guys. Um, it's, it's gonna be a race to the net. I'm here first, mother. You know what? Exactly. Who center? You know, I'll, I'll just we we lost on Shapo and Dimitrov overs as well. I think we just reaffirmed never Shapo. Even at like plus one thousand, uh, not sure if we learned a lot there. But the Dimitrov, that was just kind of a brutal, brutal loss as he broke twice in the second. Uh, felt like the over was very much in play, so especially at the price, so tough one. But uh, I, I want to say uh, with Sinner, man, what a good price versus Rublev that I talked myself out of. I mean, two and a half. I, I want to talk about this real quick. So Sinner was laying two and a half against Rublev. I mean, of course I like that. That seemed like the most obvious play in the entire world. So I'm like, what am I missing here? I'm like, this is, I just, I'm like, this, this just seems like trap written all over it. So I talked myself into a half unit play on, on Rublev plus 160, goes down in flames. But, but yeah, I mean, and then also I was like, Sinner's going to come out. He's going to serve sub 46% or sub 50% first serve. And Rublev's going to smash winners. I don't know. I guess for me, it's like tough to know when these these traps are, are gonna occur because man i felt like that line was way too short against rublev and it was so public that even like they were talking about it on vsin <laughs> like it, it, that play had like broken into like mainstream betting talk <laughs> that's how public center minus two and a half was so also gave me pause but uh i don't know I thought tennis was like a niche sport exactly anyway moving on all right guys well that that sums up that that segment we can move on to the quarterfinals here won't have this out for the center rusevori match so let's move on to carlitos alcaraz versus taylor fritz uh first ever meeting between these two alcaraz just bested a pretty fantastic performance from fritz's countrymen and pal and podcast fave tommy paul thought that was a pretty thrilling match for 6-4-6-4 a lot of athleticism on display on both sides of the court 
Fritz breezed through Holger Runa, who was officially on the banned list for me. I would say fade, but uh, mm-hmm. no, I'll fade him, and uh, he will find his Paris Masters level when I fade him. Although, I mean, I feel like he's a good play against crappy players. <laughs> it's funny he plays someone good that he's in trouble. Neither of these guys have dropped a set so far, and there are three previous matches. Alcaraz is laying three and a half games, although that's heading to four, uh, probably by close. Minus... 375 on the money line. Fritz is plus 290. What what are we thinking about uh, Mr. Mr. Alcaraz? Does he drop a set here, boys? Or even sniff losing the match? Me, if you ask me, I mean, like, I'll never be excited betting against Alcaraz. It's mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying. Did it yesterday with Tommy Paul, but the bookmakers gave me five games. Five and, yeah, five games. So that was fairly comfortable, but I was still terrified. Um, but you can get Fritz at four games. It's like a minus one thirty. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't think it's that bad. Um, I was hoping for four and a half, but like, I mean, the book's job is to not make it easy on us. But um, like Fritz was able to go toe to toe against Sinner's baseline game at Indian Wells, and that's like the best comp that I can get from recent history especially considering like Fritz and Carlitos have never played each other. So you can't really put anything into the bank. Um, But like that Fritz and center match did go three sets. Like granted, yeah, this is different courts and whatnot, but I mean, that's just recent history and just kind of showing where Fritz's game's at. And I'm not saying that Fritz is going to win a set here against Carlos, but I think he can stay within the four game spread. Like, cause Taylor's got that patience too, which is, key when playing Carlitos like Carlitos likes to hit big hopefully he can hit some unforced errors um but by having patience like Fritz could stay in some rallies that doesn't mean he's even gonna win half of those rallies those forehand rallies but I think he's gonna win enough to uh you know stay under the four games and I don't know I just think he has like the skill and focus to to hopefully make that bet have some value yeah, I just I'm someone that's just slowing down on betting Carlos matches. Honestly, um, I look for a spot to fade, and then no matter who you put up against him, when I get into like the qualitative matchup analysis, I just I can't I can't find anyone that matches up well. Uh, to be honest, Tommy Paul is actually a guy who, quite frankly, is now covered both times. Carly, he's played Carlitos. The athleticism's there. The forehand can rip. The serve can find some points. He's got the rally tolerance. I mean, like Tommy Paul is perhaps the makeshift guy to push Carlos. But yesterday wasn't as close. Montreal was super close. Tommy actually won the damn thing. Then you see the progression from Carlos uh, from last year to this year. I think last year was um, it was just frustrating watching his talent get almost not negated, but him offsetting it himself with just idiotic play and just a lack of point construction, lack of knowing when to go for a big shot. He's he solved a lot of that in a matter of eight months. And I'm, I'm wondering once Novak Djokovic retires, like, seriously it's he's gonna be like the big three but just one of them like he's not gonna have the other two guys to stop him from winning 40 slams i really want to i i'm not saying he's gonna win 40 slams i'm just saying if he stays healthy and i mean he's got he's got the big three talent without the other big three there to to stop him from winning everything so where like who's who beats him and who stops him from winning grand slams at this point other than Djokovic at at Wimbledon and probably Australia. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm off on this match. I think this is one where Jeff Benson at Circa would call it a 3.75. 
um, when when people ask him for his line because he doesn't make the NFL lines. It's, he is, they have obviously another team that does that. He's just like the operations manager. And he always says, I make a 5.25. And they ask, what is that? He goes, or sorry, like a, a 3.75 or 4.25. It's Well, I've got it as a cheap, uh, let's see if you're on the plus side of it, a cheap four or an expensive four and a half. And that's what this is, right? It's a plus 105 minus three and a half, but an expensive minus four. So I think you're probably closer mm-hmm. to a minus three and a half here uh, as the official spread. And uh, I just don't like taking... Um, under four games with men's tennis most of the time, unless you've got serve bots involved, but then you don't get the four game spread, especially with Carlos as the returner, like one break a set, you're done. You cannot cover like you're even one break in the match. If it's a, if Fritz serves first, goes to a tie break, then Carlos serves first. The second, it only takes one break for Mm -hmm. you not to get your three and a half. Yeah. That's that's a bitch. That's the only reason why, uh, Tommy was able to cover yesterday is because of the coin toss. Like he got the service order. Yeah. 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 That's the only reason why. And I like, I had five games and like, yeah, if that was like, uh, that coin toss had Carlos serving first, dude, I would have lost that for sure. Or I would have pushed actually. I mean, the thing with Carlitos is the unforced errors have are, 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 are kind of gone away for the most part. And that, that was his Achilles heel for a, a lot of last year. It was just how easily he was missing. Uh, and he just doesn't really miss anymore. I mean, it's kind of dude. And he gets his, like, honestly, like Tommy, a few times in that match had epic returns, and Alcaraz was just that much better. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be tough. And the thing with Fritz, though, I, I think, I mean, is the double faults, man. Like, he can't afford double faults at all in this match and let Alcaraz into a serve uh, because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to hold serve. Um, I bet the 2-0 uh, at minus 130. It was at minus 120 last night. I kind of like this bet too, though. Um, Alcaraz to win every set 6-3 or 6-4 is plus 600, 6-1. Six um, so if you're, if you're into... Fritz keeping this relatively close um, at six to one. I think that's DeSante. Uh, <laughs> the set one under is uh, for nine and a half is plus 120. And I also wanted to talk about betting Alcaraz in general uh, versus, uh, you know, just this match. So Alcaraz set one unders against non top players. I mean, I think are auto plays, especially if they're not juiced to the high heavens. Uh, bagels are, are going to be coming. We've already seen multiple bagels this week. Uh, and yeah, Magnus was so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it like went off before. Like I thought of it way too late. It went off before uh, I could get there. But like, yeah, I mean, I think there's ways to start attacking Alcaraz, who's going to be you know juiced from a side. Uh, aside and and game spread perspective uh i think there's some obvious plays uh with him moving forward um yeah so derek likes the four with fritz i like two oh alcaraz and john sounds like he's passing on this match if i could get three and a half and again like it's a good job by the market um whether it was the books that opened it or the market that, that shaped it uh it it was both Kind of. Um, it opened at minus 125. It's minus 123 now. So I, there you go. Uh, I think they opened it at three and a half juice properly. If that was three and a half at minus 110, minus 107, 
Um, yeah, I'd be on, on Carlos minus games, but uh, again, just seems pretty pretty correct to me. Absolutely. Um, Karen Hachanov versus uh, Francisco Sarundalo. The Russian is a three and a half game favorite, minus 260 on the money line. Dolo is plus 210 dog, as we mentioned. Uh, Hachanov resurfacing after some poor results post his AO semis run, picked up a nice win against a rising Yuri Laheshka and his first against Sitsipas, now one and six, I believe, in that head to head. But he did drop a set to Thomas, Tomas Echeverry in his first match. Echeverry is Dolo's countryman. That match saw Karen. Iran land 59% first serves and only win 36% second serve points. Uh, 12 of 33 second serves there. The set he lost, he only landed 33% first and won 29% second serves, second serve points. Uh, so maybe an opening for Dolo. If that serve, if that serve isn't on, I don't think Echeverry and Dolo are, are one for one comps, but I certainly think, uh, both, you know, coming from the same place, probably the same program. I think that there's uh, so, some comparables there. Jolo with some nice wins against the promising uh, American hardcorder and Kovacevic, Kovacevic. How do you how do you say his name? Kovac Kovacevic Co- against uh, Kovacevic. Finally, besting FAA in his third try this year and gutting out the last two sets versus Sunego. That forehand continues to be his greatest weapon and his greatest defeat <laughs> because when that thing is on he is awesome when that thing is off he stinks anyone like in the dolo side here or want to make a case what are we thinking about this one yeah um first off he loves miami uh, there, there is a case where, like Emil Rusuvori said it too. I think he made a fourth round or a, a fourth round in the past. He noted it in his on-court interview. Dolo has tweeted about it or or put out some sort of message on Instagram or something about it. I caught the tennis form ticker about how you know he likes Miami. Uh, he says they're playing faster this year, which I think is the consensus now. I don't think I don't think by any means they're fast, but I'm not going to get into the goddamn court speed talk again. Um, but he, the conditions are nice for him. It's pretty obvious he doesn't mind the heat and humidity. Where other players might start, it might start to wear others down a bit more as matches go on. And and Hachanov, I just don't think he's that much better than Sirundulo. I think this is a big clay quarter versus traditional hard quarter. It's a hard court pedigree that has to be setting this apart. Has Hachanov played infinitely better this week than Dolo? No. Um, has he? Does he have weapons that blow Serundolo off the court? No. Is Serundolo slow or unathletic? No. I, I just, is the serve miles better? Is the serve better? Yes. Is the forehand better? Arguable. Backhand? I mean, it's bigger, but Hachanov also makes, I think, commits a few more errors or is a little more error prone. Athletically on the baseline, I'll give that to Dole. I just don't, I, I if you go down category by category, where is it that he makes this a 70-30 or 65-35 matchup. Most books have it in that range. I don't think it's that that much of a spread. I have uh, Dolo closer to almost 40% here up in the 38.5% range. I have a nice edge on Dolo here at plus 220 at uh, 365. Uh, for those who have it, I know there's a couple states where um, they have entered the market. So if you're in one of those states, I think the plus 220 is pretty nice. Plus Anything plus 200, though, is still a good number. I'm at 38.5%. Plus 200 is about 33% implied probabilities. 
Hachana's the favorite. He's the more natural hardcore. He's got the better pedigree on the surface in his career. But make no mistake, these are not hard courts that are either lightning fast or that Sundolo is not used to. These are hard courts that he has done this on before. He has pulled off upsets consistently at this venue in the past. I don't know if I disrespect him this much, especially with a guy like Kachanov, who one commits errors, two is not that much better than him, and three, uh, the tennis IQ and the mental game just aren't that strong. I mean, he barely snuck by Pass, who is still hitting more like big backhands. Like he was flattening them out a little bit more. But the vast majority were still slices and moonballs landing in no man's land. That should be absolutely spanked back to their side of the net. And Kachanov was really struggling um, to find that break that he eventually found in the second set. So call me crazy, but I think that plus 220 is a pretty nice number on Sedulo. Yeah, I'm with John here. Like, I even have a Hatchinoff quarterback going. And, like, the way that Hatchinoff has been playing in this tournament, it's like nothing has really impressed me. I mean, he smoked Leachka. I think Leachka is actually overrated, in my opinion. He's coming back to earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then we got Sitsipas, who that guy should have just lost to Gareen. Gareen put nothing away. He was just teeing up these balls for Gareen. And Green just couldn't finish him. Um, and then in the Hatchinoff match, Sitsipas was kind of teeing him up again. And then Hatchinoff just decided to play some long game. I don't really understand. He was like trying to wear him down. I don't really get what his game plan it was. It worked. Yeah, it worked. Um, <laughs> he won yeah. in the end. Like he was a dog for some freaking odd reason. I didn't understand that. But yeah, I cashed in on that one. And then. But like what John's saying, like, what the heck has he done to impress us? Like, yeah, he's gotten to the quarterfinal, but like he's had a pretty dang easy route. And then if you look at Sarundalo, I mean, he's been playing freaking super well. And he beat um, Sanego, who has been serving really well. And then he beat Faye Leakes, who obviously has a serve as well, too. So uh, if you take a look at Hatchinoff, like what's his weapon? Freaking, yeah, the forehand and the serve, mainly the serve. The first serve. So... Sarundalo is backing up against both Felix and um, Senego. So, I mean, he's going to just take a few steps back behind the baseline, absorb those um, first serves, get those things in and cause some havoc. So, I mean, John's talking about plus 220. I got plus 210 at Bovada. I still think that's a pretty good deal and that has some value. So that's not a bad thing to take. Um you could take the spread at plus three and a half, but I mean, I'm probably just going to bet the plus two ten to win one unit. I'm not a big underdog better, but yeah, I still think that spending a half unit to win one is a pretty good deal on that one. That's actually really good. I, I didn't even think of the comparable player point because I mean, think about it. You're right. Like the serve forehand plus the erratic nature from time to time that can cost him matches. That's exactly Felix. And that's exactly Sonego. Sonego, obviously not up the level of Hachinoff or Felix, but that's a pretty decent comp. They're not the exact same player. They do certain things differently. I get that. They also are both pretty tall guys that move well on the baseline. It's a very, very good comp. And it doesn't mean that Dolo is going to replicate the result, but it means he has like the book on that type of player, or he comes in with that knowledge and preparedness. So Shoot, I might go even larger now. <laughs> I didn't even honestly <laughs> think about the comparables too. I mean, the the, the matchup and the venue already favor um, success for him. And and thinking about that comparable, where he's not going to be caught off guard by a whole hell of a lot of what uh, of what Harin does. So that's an interesting that's an interesting point too. I'll play devil's advocate for the Russian here. All tournament uh, I've watched, 
uh, the winner be the person who doesn't completely discombobulate. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one side that's going to discombobulate more than uh, or in this match, it's definitely the Drollo side and that forehand. And I think, you know, there's a, there actually is some decent value on the three and a half with the Russian because a couple breaks is definitely in play for Dolo. I mean, a six, two set is uh, very much in play. If he's getting his, his serves in and, and his return game isn't, isn't bad. I also thought yesterday was going to be a, a fairly decent dog day in round four. And uh, it was not, it was all faves. <laughs> so I'm a little, a little skittish on, on, on dogs. Although I did cash on Eubanks uh, and, um, and Dolo uh, at the end of the day, which was, which was nice good segue in to talk about uh, Mr. Christopher Eubanks in our last quarterfinal here. Christopher Eubanks, AKA the new goat uh, is taking on Daniil Medvedev. And uh, you guys were right uh, about my med fade on the first Miami pod. Uh, Med has played no one almost literally (laughs) in one round uh, as he got a walkover with Malchan uh, pulling out, uh, but at RCB and a hard court, and he just beat Halis at like 1.30 a.m. East Coast time, who probably overachieved to get to round four. Now he's playing Chris Eubanks to reach the semifinals. This is a 1,000 event, and that is borderline comical. How that draw worked out for Mr. Medvedev. Uh, Eubanks has won six matches in a row, coming through qualities, cashing as a dog along the way, reaching the top 100. Jamie Foxx posted on Instagram, about Chris Eubanks, big get for tennis, uh, beats Chorich. Uh, the new goat bags him a rhino, taking down Manorino, who was slaying the tall serve guys. Uh, but it seems like we have reached the end of the line. And uh, <laughs> this is a match that I feel like I would talk myself into the dog here because of the odds and everything. So I will be playing the under 20 games with Medvedev uh, fading my myself and my natural instinct to say there's some value on Eubanks. <laughs> N- no, I think, uh, I think there's not actually, I think he is a deserved $9 dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he's like plus wait, where is it at? Uh, he's up to 10. He's over, 10 to one. Now he's uh, 13 to one at pinnacle. Awesome. He's up to, 13.92 or plus 12.92. So almost 13 to 1. Yikes. I mean, he's had a good run. He's played a lot of tennis and he is a long, I mean, a tall, lanky dude. I mean, th- that's a lot of court time for someone with his frame. Uh, and and Medvedev, Medvedev obviously is not, he's, I think he's played maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's funny that we're laughing, but it's like, they kind of not false. Uh, he has been on court so little. The thing, too, here is um, like Eubanks needs to be serving super, super well, and he has the last couple nights, and I'll give him that. Manorino got frustrated, I think he said to um, at least Conte Moinet of L'Equipe, so a French kind of public sports publication tweeted out about an interview with Manorino after the match talking about Manorino was he, he had some harsh-ish words like he thought that Chris was just smacking the ball around and just playing perfectly and every decision he made like he was taking and to an extent he was right like some of the shots that Manorino's counter punching the pace back at him he takes it on like the rise like almost like a half volley from the baseline and just smacks it as hard as he can and it was a winner 
And you could see Manorino rolling his eyes, throwing his racket around on the court, kind of really upset. Then he said he said so much after, or he said as much after. Now, a couple of things that I will say about to, to Eubanks' defense, as much as I will be with you on, on Medvedev. So let me kind of give both sides here uh, from my perspective. First, yeah, okay, Adrian, the guy was serving really well, hitting a high level. Yeah, that's what big guys do. John Isner lances first serve a ton. Those tall guys, they have very repeatable booming serves, okay? That's not something that takes much luck. The other shots, the forehands especially, I'll give you that. The other thing I think that Eubanks deserves a lot of credit for is the backhand wing, which it's a one-hander. It has not been rushed at all this week. Uh, even when Manorino was counterpunching his own pace back at him into the outer thirds, making him run, he's so smart when he's moving his feet and he's not set. He doesn't try and overhit. Take note, Denis Shapovalov. Instead, he would slice those back, right? He'd hit defensive slices to buy himself time, reset the point, allow himself to recover to the center of the baseline, at the uh, center of the court on the baseline, right? When he was set, he was going for them. He was hitting down the line shots. He was hitting them cross court with angle. Very, very smart approach to his backhand. Again, take note, Denis Shapovalov, because it's getting to the point where um, that backhand is becoming a legitimate almost tour level backhand. That's what held him back for so long. He couldn't really block return with it. Couldn't do a whole hell of a lot with it. Now it's looked pretty good. So I'll, I'll give, I'll come to his defense there as well. It's not pure luck that has got him to this point. It wasn't pure luck that had him beat Manorino. There were certainly some shots that were like, yeah, that's not landing in. If you keep trying to hit those too much, right? Uh, not to beat a dead horse, but again, on that note too, the low margin stuff, take no Dennis Shapovalov. But uh, when you talk about the Medvedev match, his main problem is as repeatable as that big serve is, Medvedev's frame allows him to get so much back and he's not going to be outstretched like guys that are only six, uh, five, 10, five foot 11, six feet tall, six foot one, right? Those guys against the huge serve are kind of lunging to the ball, getting back with desperation. And then he's got an easy plus one forehand. Medvedev has the length that he's going to get his racket to that ball much sooner. And he's going to put it back with some depth. Now that changes the whole equation for Chris Eubanks. Right. And, and I think that's where he's going to have the most trouble is he hasn't played that big, lanky returner yet in Daniil Medvedev. And that is where I think Daniil has that 6'4, six, 6'4, four, six, four, at a minimum, at a minimum 6'4, six, 6'4 four, six, four in him. I think this ends up uh, probably closer to 6'3, 6'2, 6'2, 6'3, 6'3, or 6'4, 6'3. In my distribution of outcomes, those are the three most um, likely score lines. So the under 20, under 20 and a half, if you can find those, are certainly looking to be valuable, at least in my books. Two hours and 14 minutes, Medvedev has been on court. I would actually yeah. say Halise was, uh, sorry, Derek, uh, Halise is uh, a more reliable server. I, I would actually say like a more like uh, polished tour version of the Eubanks game. And he lost 6 4, 6 2. Um, and he even had the advantage of playing at one in the morning where things could just go completely wrong uh, for both sides. I tweeted out, I, I played the you know, uh, plus one and a half sets with Halis because I'm like, it's one in the morning. Like, who knows what's going to happen? Um, and then it played out like it was 12 noon. So, <laughs> um, yeah, tough, tough uh, hill to climb here for Mr. Eubanks. Go ahead, Derek. No, I was just going to say that I don't really know where to bet on this one. I mean, it's like a five and a half game spread. Uh, I mean, I don't want to crap on um, Eubanks' little story that he has going on, but it, he's just going to hit a dead end right here. I don't know how much like uh, Medvedev is going to crush him, but I do want to say like what John was saying, dude, his backhand is pretty sick though. I mean, it's not like a typical one-handed backhand. Like when I think of one-handed backhand, I always think of it like feds or stands, but this thing doesn't have like that, that grace to it. But 
dude, he can tweak that wrist in some weird ways where he can hit that ball with some variety. Um, but like the motion of it is pretty sweet and I'm digging it. But, uh, dude, do you think he's really gonna like be able to stay under five and a half games here? I don't know. I don't really think so. I mean, Med's way too good a defense for this. So I'm just going to stay away. Man, it was so great, though, to watch Eubanks uh, return everything to Manorino. Like, I- I've been fading Manorino the last two rounds with Shelton. And then I was like, Hubie's going to beat this guy. Um, and Manorino was able to just return it, keep returning and, and get these guys pinned. And then they fucking just go to the net or go long. And it was pretty frustrating. Not Eubanks, baby. He was like, take that, take that. I was like, hell yeah, give it to him, Eubanks. Give it to him. He can't hang. All right. Any other uh, thoughts on these quarterfinals here? If you, I want to say, I don't know if you, uh, any combos uh, for semifinals. I don't really have that, but, you know, it, two of the three people here think Dola was pretty live. Um, if there's like an exact uh, for the fi- the semifinals, but there's some value on a, on a Dolo Alcaraz center Medvedev uh, draw in the, the semifinals. Uh, might be something worth checking out there if you can find that. Well, you, I make sure that if you shop around all your books and do a four four Wait, four way parlay too, right? Make sure you're not uh, taking a worse price on that exacta because that's just a four game parlay too. But uh, a lot of times you you might get those those stupid books that are like, hey, the market is saying this is only like a plus X uh, four way parlay, and we're going to give it to you at plus Y and give you some nice value. So certainly something worth looking at if if that market is out there. I like that. Good point, John. Uh, any challenger talk you want to drop on us? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is what I was going to say at the end. Anyway, I wanted to to quickly see if some challenger stuff for tomorrow. There are four challenges going on, one in Mexico City, three in Europe. So you're going to want – we'll release this tonight if you're listening as soon as it comes out. Cool. You're going to have time to get these bets in. If not, uh, they might not be up still there. They might not still be there in the morning. But I do think that a parlay piece, if you're looking to parlay anything tomorrow, Yuri Rodionov against Kenny DeSchepper or DeShepper is probably a decent play in Lille, which is in France. Um, he's in the minus 250 range at some books, a little more expensive than that in other places. He's coming off a long week, but it was a week in which he won a challenger. So the form is there, infinitely better than Kenny. They're both lefties, so there's no lefty advantage. Uh, Kenny DeSkepper has nothing but a serve, and Rodinoff has the serve, the athleticism, the youth. DeShepard is a 35-year-old. I don't know how he's still grinding out into these challengers, how these players let him into the challengers because he comes through qualities, but he's trash. And that minus 250 should be about minus 500. I'm not even exaggerating. I, I don't know how this is at the number it's at. Maybe the market's overplaying a fatigue concern here, but Rodinoff stayed within Europe from last week, and he had a couple full days off uh, before his first round match. So that's a nice parlay piece. Laying the games indoors, little tough, because Rodinoff can be a little bit erratic mentally, and DeShepard does have the ability to just redline on serve. But I would still take a minus 250 uh, money line here. I do think that has some value. Also in Lille, indoor hard courts generally quicker in France. Minus 120 for Kasper Zouk to beat Vitaly Sachko. That is in, that's just incorrect. Uh, I now force myself to raise the bar on the edge I need to bet Kasper Zouk because the guy, unfortunately, like he's super talented. He's fun to watch. I think he's won like five of the last seven ITFs he's been in, including this year. Then he gets to the challenger level and he's 
rolling on serve. This happened a couple weeks ago in Roberto where he's playing Mariusz Kopiel, guy in his 30s, serve bot, one-headed backhand, trash, you know, just garbage player. And he he's like 7-6-2-1-15-40 up on Kopiel's serve. I think he faced one break point all match or zero all match to that point. And then collapses. As soon as he gets near that finish line, the nerves build, serving it out gets tougher. Then he did it again uh, in his last week when he played Matthias Boulg, again, 30-plus-year-old, indoor specialist, serve bot, no form to speak of, past his prime. He's leading him, uh, or he's dominating the first set, losing a tie break. And then in the second set, finally gets a lead. In the third set, he's up a break and then goes like 40-15 to deuce, 40-15 to deuce, 40-15 to broken in three of four service games. The, the mental game is a little rough, okay? That said... He should not be minus 120 against Sachko, who himself is very erratic, does not have a serve, has an unorthodox game style, kind of odd technique, I think, from the baseline. He is a, a decent player, kind of that indoor clay, indoor hard and clay European combo, uh, like summer-winter kind of split almost. And the problem is he's underpowered in this matchup. Zhuk has the ability to stick with him from the baseline, and he's got serve. I don't like playing Zhuk as much. I make myself, if I think it's, you know, minus 140 is the true line and it's minus 130. I can pass on, and the price is minus 130. I'll pass. When it gets down to minus 120, I think it's like, okay, this is a little too much. So I'll be on Cash Brzezuk as well in Lille. So those are a couple challenger looks, both from the French challenger. If you want an underdog real fast, I have for the challenger circuit, San Remo challenger in Italy. Uh, qualifier Eduardo Lavagno taking on his countryman, Andrea Vavasori. This is an Italian heavy draw. Um, or at least it was in the first round. He's a very interesting lefty. Huge spin. I like the aggressiveness he can put into his game. I like his his ground game. He's very error prone, and that's why he has done decently at the ITF level, never made the jump. But Vavasori has a weird serve and volley game that actually works on clay. He's got good uh, ground strokes. He can, he can rip the ball. He can play aggressive. But he can also be very error prone. And I'll take that lefty, big spin, kind of high upside Lavagno here. He's not a prospect. I think he's in his 24-ish, so almost mid-20s, like between the early and mid-20s area, so not exactly an up-and-coming uh, burgeoning prospect, but certainly more talent than I think his results would show. And I don't know if I'd have him plus 250 in this matchup against another guy who, yes, has weapons, has an aggressive game, but is also very erratic. So again, Lavagno maybe not as aggressive, Not the weapons aren't as big, but he's got a very, very clay specialist-like game. He's won three matches so far this week. Uh, I bet him on the other day, bet on him the other day at minus 130. He should have been minus 155. To me, that tells me that he is undervalued right now in my book. So I'll take another shot at it tomorrow. I'll go ahead and, and play Lavagno against Vavasori. But those are my three. Two hard courts, one clay court, three challenger plays. Fantastic stuff, John. And don't forget, follow him at Tidbits Tennis where he runs a Patreon. He's given out challenger plays on the regular tons of great analysis like you just heard win or lose i mean there's value uh in that patreon uh, so make sure you're hitting that let john be your pusher into the the challenger lifestyle uh he's got the dope you need <laughs> <laughs> um anything else I, we'll be back for the semifinals yes, I, I do feel like i do have one more thing i gotta add now legal disclaimer i'm not a drug dealer i promise yeah. <laughs> That was, of course, I'm going to say that now. <laughs> yeah. John can satisfy all your needs. Anything <laughs> you want, yeah, hit him up. There is his Twitter and his Patreon if you want the premium stuff. <laughs> oh, what the hell? That was an, an analogy, man. Come on. All right, guys. 
Well, we've said it all. We'll be back for the semifinals. You can follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tibbets Tennis. Follow Derek at Fair versus Nagal. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. If you like what you heard, if you're winning some money with us, uh, if you have a Hachanov plus 600 quarter winner in pocket, thanks to this podcast, give us a, a follow on Spotify, on Apple, uh, a, a rating, a review even. We really appreciate it. it helps us out. And uh, until next time, see you in the court.